Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 24. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am extremely excited today to introduce my special guest, Bill Warner. Bill, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Bill Warner has been around automobiles his entire life. As a teenager, he worked at the local VW and imported car dealership. After college, he worked for Sports Car Graphic Magazine and Road and Track. His photographs and writings have appeared in most of the well-known automotive magazines, and his awards are numerous. In 1975, Bill ran a Porsche 911 in the infamous Cannonball Run and has raced a Brabham BT-8, a Datsun B210, GT3 cars, and many others winning all sorts of races. He's restored numerous vintage automobiles, and in 1996, he founded the Amelia Island Concours d'Elegance, one of the top Concours events in the world. In 2002, Bill was awarded the Meguiar's Automobile Hobby Person of the Year Award, and in 2003, he was inducted into the Road Racing Drivers Club by Brian Redmond and Bobby Rahal. He's on the steering committee of the LeMay, America's Automobile Museum, and his awards and involvements in the hobby go on and on and on. Bill also served for 30 years on the Florida Air National Guard, retiring at the rank of major. So, Bill, thank you for your service to our country and to the automotive hobby. That was the world's oldest major, I should point out. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. So, Bill, I've told our listeners a little about you, so take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles. I can't remember a time when I wasn't enamored with automobiles. My mom used to say my first word was Chevrolet, and my (laughs) <laughs> My tricycle was a Buick back then. So. I, I don't know. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I wasn't into stick and ball games. And I was kind of a car nerd. And uh, i get home from school and get my bicycle and drive down, pedal down uh, you know, automobile road to all the dealers, driving them crazy, you know, taking the literature, sitting in the cars until they ran me out. <laughs> and I started working for Al Sager Volkswagen. Mr. Sager had a couple of uh, Porsche specials. They were... One was a push rod, and the other was a Carrera engine, uh, Devon-bodied cars. And uh, I'd go as a schlepping. I, back then, you, you could you could be under 18 and get in the pits. So, you know, I'd get coffee, haul tires, whatever they need to have done. And I just decided there was something about the smell of uh, castor bean oil and orange blossoms down here that got my attention. <laughs> well, take us uh, up through... Uh, all, there are so many things you could talk about, of course, but maybe from the time you're a child, but take us up through your automotive career, maybe uh, past college and all the different things you've been involved with. Yeah, uh, My parents gave me a camera for my 16th birthday, uh, a Yashica D. It was a little roll film camera. And my, my late sister was kind of my inspiration. She taught me photography. I'm, I'm getting ready to do a book, and I'm naming. I'm dedicating it to my late sister. And uh, she told me one thing when I got the camera that really stuck with me. She says, "You know what this is going to do?" And I said, "What's that?" She says, "It'll get you on the other side of the fence." Mm-hmm. That's the name of the book, "The Other Side of the Fence." Wonderful. And it's going to be about 
photographing races. I shot not professionally, but the first race I shot, which I had images on that could feasibly use in a publication, was 1960 at Sebring, Daytona also. And uh, back in those days, you know, I didn't have telephoto lenses or fast film or anything. I had a cheap little camera. And I still have the images today, and, and some of them have shown up in uh, Pete Lyons' book on the Can-Am, and uh, a couple of them will be in, in my book when I get it done. When I went off to a military college, I went to the Citadel in Charleston, and my dad wanted me to get a degree in engineering, which I did, which I didn't particularly enjoy. I enjoyed the Citadel. I just didn't enjoy electrical engineering. It was a choice of being in the air-conditioned labs in electrical engineering or out on the hot parade ground as a civil engineer. So <laughs> I chose the air conditioning. Started the uh, sports car club at the Citadel, although I didn't own a car. I didn't have a car until I was about 20 years old. Couldn't afford them. The first car I got was a hand-me-down 61 Buick. It was about four years old, I guess, that my dad had used on the road. Put 40 pounds of air in the tires and pop the hubcaps and go to the Walterboro drag strip on Saturday nights. I think. I don't think mom and dad would have liked to have known that. Probably not. <laughs> There's lots of things mothers and dads don't need to know about their sons about that time. I think you're right. Started drag racing with a Buick, and, and then when I got out of college, I wanted to go to the races and couldn't afford to race, so I went as a, a photographer. First was sports car graphic. And you have to understand that magazines are historically cheap, so if they can find somebody in Jacksonville to go down to Daytona and shoot the race, they're going to hire them rather than flying someone from Los Angeles. So that kind of took off, and I, I became kind of the contributing photographer for the Southeast for Sports Car Graphic. And that magazine tanked in 71, and Road and Track was looking for someone down here, so I went on with them as an avocation. My, my vocation at the time was I, I sold industrial filters mm. uh, all over the Southeast. When I traveled, I'd go to junkyards looking for, for old cars, particularly old race cars, and that turned into be quite a, a, a successful venture. I probably made more money off the old cars than I did off selling filters. <laughs> the, the first car I found and bought was an ex-Denny Home Brabham BT-8 that had won the tourist trophy, and it was in a Columbia, South Carolina junkyard repair shop for 2900 bucks. Wow. Yeah, those are hard to find. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was in 1976. And then the guy called me two years later and says, I got this Cooper with a Ford engine. You want it? I went up, and it was the last of the King Cobras. It was the Lang Cooper. Oh, my goodness. So I bought it for 6900 bucks. Wow. Kept those cars about 12 years. Kind of sorry I sold the Brabham. It was a wonderful car. The King Cobra scared me to death every time I got in it. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, you ran in the infamous Cannibal Run uh, yeah. back when, and boy, what a, a mythical adventure that must have been. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, uh, my co-driver was a guy I later raced Camaros with. We owned a Camaro together. It was Tom Neal, who ran in IMSA. Mm -hmm. What he didn't tell me when we left New York was he couldn't drive at night. Oh, He, he kept falling asleep. So we left about sunset from the Red Ball Garage in New York. Down in Virginia, I was pretty tired. We'd been running in the rain and triple digits. And I said, well, it's time for you to take over. And he goes to driving. He starts nodding off. Next thing I know, I, I drove both night stretches and half a day stretch. Oh, goodness. I, uh, we didn't do very well. But we were there, and we did it. And we can say we did it. Absolutely. That was fun. I'm sure it was. Still, still have the car. I've owned it 43 years at 9-11. Oh, my goodness. Wow. 
Well, you've been involved in so many incredible things throughout your life, and we could probably talk for hours about many of them, but I always like to start the show off with a success quote, a saying that's been instrumental in forming your success in your life. It's a really fun way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Bill, take the wheel. My personal one is, uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. Never give up chasing the dream. Nice. None of my family was, was, was into automobiles. I was kind of off in the side. I was the last of three children by nine years, so it was kind of like I was kind of on my own. Not not really. I mean, they supported me, but they no one uh, enhanced my desire for automobiles. And if I wanted to go to a race, I had to find a way of getting there myself. The other slogan that I like is one Roger Pinsky has. It's it's a simple one. It's effort equals results. If you work hard enough, you're going to get results. I'm 71 now. I still put in eight, 10-hour days, and, and I, I probably will do that as long as I physically can. Sure. You, you just can't expect things to come your way. you got to make it happen. Absolutely. How, how have you incorporated those two quotes into your life throughout the years and maybe specifically your passion for automobiles? Well, that, that part, if you can dream it, you can do it. I really wanted to become a professional race driver, and I, I wasn't talented enough. And uh, like you, I had a family. I just couldn't afford to take the risk. But over the years, I've raced 35 years amateur racing and did a couple of low-end pro races. So I got my racing itch scratched. I enjoyed it. I, I could have never made a living at it. The photography made all that possible, the connections there. And uh, the other thing, I wanted to be a designer. I wanted to go to the Art Center College of Design, but we couldn't afford that either. So we, uh, I get to hang out with all my hero designers, uh, Ed Welburn, Steve Pastiner, Ralph Gilles, Tom Gale, Maury Callum, all, all the guys who do all this great work. You know, When I go to Detroit, Steve Pastiner, who used to head up the Buick Studios, he and I go out to eat and we draw cars. We, we go to a restaurant that has placemats where we can draw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the kids' crayons. I collect uh, sketches by famous designers, but the, the pr- criteria is it has to be done on a placemat at a restaurant, rat. So I got them framed in my garage. They got they've got gravy stains and oil, you know. But they're <laughs> sketches by Harm Guy from Porsche and Tom Gale and and uh, Wayne Cherry and and uh, Dave Holes, all all the great designers. So you know the Lord lays out a path for you. It may not be what you think it's going to be. But in the end, it's kind of, you, you get this aha moment. It's like my at, at the Citadel when I was studying electrical engineering in my sophomore year and junior year, I said, why are we taking this course? What, what relevancy does it have to what I'm doing? And your senior year, they t- start taking all these pieces of the puzzle you were working on your freshman, sophomore, junior year, and you get that aha moment as they all kind of piece together. Sure. And I think the Concord d'Elegance is a, is a result of those, uh, those little pieces of life, the, the amateur racing, the photography, the, the design, the, the study of, of, of the effect of the automobile on, on our country and our freedoms. And then all of a sudden I got this aha moment as to why everything kind of fit together. And I, I think it, it was just the plan for me, for my life. Wonderful, wonderful stories. I love the uh, tablecloth artwork on the walls, too. I'd love to see that someday. <laughs> Oh, you got to come to Jacksonville. I got them up oh, my, in my garage. I built my garage of my dreams, and that's where the drawings are. All right. I look forward to that. 
Would you share a time in your life that really instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy? I don't, I don't know if there was a, a moment. I mean, from the time I was a kid, I mean, I could pick out a 50 Chevy from a 49, you know, I was six years old. I, it just, automobiles have always been an abiding passion. With my brother, it was airplanes. With my dad, it was boats. So it was just, there's a transportation gene <laughs> in the Warner family, and I just got the car one. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, Bill, what I want to do now is take a trip down some roads you've driven and, and really crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty. I'd like you to share a, a huge challenge or even a big failure that you've faced and something that really pushed you to a breaking point, but more importantly, how you overcame that situation. Um, I can think of two. When we announced, I, I was asked by a lady named Patty Hendricks at the Ritz-Carlton to do a Concorde d'Elegance. Well, I'm not a pick-the-grass-out-of-the-tires kind of guy. And I said, well, we had tried to do some other automotive automotive events in Jacksonville and, and never got it put together. So I thought, well, this is an opportunity. And I had a lot of people said, Jacksonville? Why are you doing Jacksonville? Why not Palm Beach or someplace? I said, you know, Jacksonville's a beautiful city, and Amelia Island is a beautiful island. And, and I think we're centrally located between Miami, Charlotte, Birmingham, and Atlanta. We, we, we had a good draw. We weren't thinking globally at the time. We didn't think about the Geneva Auto Show, which is the week before us, and how it in, would impact us. So the challenge was overcoming the naysayers. I, I was out at Carol Shelby's office one time, and he, he had a slogan on his wall that I liked, and I've committed it to memory. I haven't put it up on my office, but I'm going to. Right behind Carol Shelby's desk, just over his head, was a sign that said, well, those of you who say it can't be done, please get out of the way of those of us who are doing it. <laughs> and that is... That's kind of been the mantra we go by here now. Here in the office, they, they have another little sign up that says, he has a dream, we service a nightmare. <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the biggest challenge I had was 2003. We had a very unusual deluge that hit. There was a front that laid down from El Paso, Texas to Jacksonville. 50 miles north and 50 miles south of us, it was beautiful. But on Amelia Island, we got four and a half inches of rain in five hours. Oh, my gosh. And it, and it cost us a ton of money to put the show on. I mean, the rain was coming down horizontally. It was the one year we didn't buy rain insurance. I, I missed the phone call that I had to make. You have to buy it 11 days out. So we had no insurance. The show was going away. There was nothing left. I mean, I if I hadn't been as old as I was, I would have laid down in the middle of the floor and cried. And some people, uh, Gene Epstein from uh, Philadelphia and uh, Richie Klein, Sam and Emily Mann, they they passed the hat that day at the show. Each of them put up between five and $10,000 to keep us going. Wow. That was a a very moving moment to this day. I, I I well up when I think about the people who could have easily just walked away and said, we want this to continue. And here, don't worry about paying us back. Just make it happen. Wonderful. That was the only, no, I'm knocking on wood right now. <laughs> the only rain we've had in 19 years. Oh, goodness. Well, I didn't even know you could get rain insurance, but of course, living here in the Pacific Northwest, if you were a rain insurance salesman, you would definitely go broke. 
yeah, it's it's interesting. You got to buy it eleven days out. You've got to tell what hours you think it's going to rain. You got to buy the amount of rain. Say we insure against a quarter of an inch or more. And then you got to hire a licensed meteorologist to sit in the middle of the field with a rain gauge and log in the precipitation in the hours that you've chosen. We choose between 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. And then uh, if you buy, let's say you buy a half an inch and you only get three-eighths of an inch, you don't get anything. It's got to be whatever you insure for or more. Sounds like Las Vegas odds. It is. And I know a lot about portalettes, too, but we just not, don't need to go into that. <laughs> wow. Well, that's... <laughs> on how many portalettes you have to have on how many people you have in the audience, it's just... Oh, gosh. It's a learning curve. Yeah. Well, what a, what a challenge. And uh, I'm glad you came through that. A uh, testament to the wonderful people in the automotive hobby. That's it really right. is. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I, yeah. that couldn't have, we couldn't have been successful had it not been for the fact that a lot of the guys who are in key positions uh, in volunteer and, and full-time here at the Concours are an ex-military. Mm. We've got brigadier generals, colonels, navy captains, majors, captains, lieutenants, and sergeants, master sergeants, chiefs. They're all part of our volunteer team. And I've learned something about, from my time in the military is they're disciplined. You give them an assignment. You don't have to give them directions. They will get the job done. You just have to define what it is you need to do. And that day they all stood up. You know, we did an inventory of our assets at 5 in the morning while the rain's pouring down. We we did assignments of who was to get who and where things were going. And it was just like a, an emergency military operation. Wonderful, wonderful. My uh, father-in-law passed a few years ago, but he was uh, in the Marine Corps, and he used to tell me similar stories. That was the great thing about people in the military. They they train, and they learn that discipline, and yeah, you just give them an assignment, it gets done. So you're fortunate to have those folks around you, for sure. Bill, Bill, you talked a little bit about your first car. Um, Could you talk about that maybe just a little bit more? Tell us what that was, and and I know you went drag racing in that car, but maybe uh, some fun stories, uh, modifications of that vehicle, adventures, and great memories. Well, the adventure and not particularly great memory was I, to entertain myself <laughs> between driving between Charleston and Jacksonville. I used to try to break my previous record by a minute. Oh, you know, if if I made it in four hours one day, the next time I did, I wanted to do it in three hours and fifty nine minutes or quicker. This was before the interstates were complete, and I was going down U.S. 17 in McIntosh County, Georgia, and I passed an unmarked Georgia State trooper who was chasing someone else when I passed him. He he pulled us both over, but he came back to me first. Welcome to McIntosh County, Georgia. Son, I've stopped people going faster than you, and I've stopped more than two people before. That's the first time I've ever been chasing somebody and had somebody pass me. <laughs> now that it took me into court in Darien, and there were three of us going to spring break. And the judge says, uh, under the state of Georgia laws, we have to clock you a quarter of a mile before we ticket you. But as you pass the trooper, we're going to have to give you a credit for what he was doing, and the fine was going to be $75. Judge, all we got between the three of us is $39.40. He says the fine is $39.40. <laughs> well, you see, you were just in training for the cannonball run. That's all. That's what you should have told him. <laughs> I, uh, I always throw fast and still do. Uh, I just got 
another ticket. I'm, the insurance <laughs> people don't want to hear this, but I just think we make some great cars. We've got great highways. The only thing we don't have great in the United States is lane discipline. Yes. They were like Europe, where you stayed to the right except the past. Traffic would go better and be safer. Amen, brother. <laughs> I've driven in Europe a lot, and they're disciplined. You never pass on the right. You're right. But if you're in the left-hand lane and you're not stroking the long, uh, they'll run over you. <laughs> they will. I'd like to see that kind of discipline over here. and Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. No, unfortunately not. How about talking uh, briefly about some seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you had in your past that you really wish you still had? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Brabham BT8. Oh, that car. Yep. Yeah, business took a downturn. I had to sell it. It was ex-Denny Home Tourist Trophy winner. Uh, Edie Aerosmith owns it now out in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Fabulous car. It was probably the most famous two-liter car of the 60s. It, you know, it beat Jim Clark in the Lotus 30. It beat David Piper in the Ferrari 250P. It beat all the big names. You can think David Hobbs in the Lola T70, Brian Revin in the Lola. I mean, it's a two-liter car. Yeah, it, it was the easiest car to drive, but you know, business took a downturn, and I had to generate some cash. So out well, the door it went. Well, wonderful car. I love the Brabham's. They're spectacular. I had a, a BMW M1 for about twelve years that I restored, and I liked it a lot. I, I sold it to buy a Ford GT. Mm. The Ford GT is a nice car, but it's not as practical as the M1. You could throw some luggage in the M1, and it was kind of the uncola of supercars of the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. They're finally being recognized now. You know, the prices on them have quadrupled in five years. Well, prices on a lot of cars in the last five years have gone through the roof and made them unobtainium to many people, unfortunately. Yeah, but we've seen it before. In 89, when they turned the light switch off, a lot of stuff that was going for crazy money suddenly became sane again. Yeah. Well. And, and it will happen again. I mean, it, it's tied to interest rates and perception of currency values and everything else people with lots of money parking it in high-end cars uh, as a hedge sure bill is there a current project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up (laughs) (laughs) rebuilding the engine from the tr6 that blew at most port and getting it ready so we can go to monterey i'm excited about running the the tr6 and monterey I, i got the group 44 tr8 i ran there a few years ago but they uh, they put me in with about 29 Porsche 935s. And oh, wow. It was nice. Speed Vision put the camera in my car because I was so far back in the pack, it made a good picture. <laughs> TR6 is an easier car to drive than the TR8. Well, we'll look forward to you on the track this summer. Can't wait yeah. to see you in that car. If you were a car, Bill, what kind of car would you be? And more importantly, why did you choose that car? Ha! <laughs> Well, I've got 11 cars, and I tell people that, you know, a car sometimes reflects your personality, and it depends on what day of the week it is and how the weather is as to what I what I take out. I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you my favorite cars, if I had an unlimited supply of money, the five cars I would have would be a Ford GT40, Porsche RS60 Spider. A Ferrari Series 1 Cabriolet, a Ferrari short wheelbase Berlinetta, and an Alfa Romeo uh, 2900, the 37, 38, 29. That's my five cars. You would Do I look like or act like, or <laughs> if I were a car, would I be one? It would be it would hard to choose hard to choose one. Mm-hmm. It's a new car, probably a Mercedes-Benz AMG. 
Nice. <laughs> an, an older car, it would, uh, a car that's affordable, I'd probably be a 64 Buick Riviera. I like a Ferrari Daytona. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> well, that's I finally cool. bought one. I oh, had nice. When I sold the, the Edsel Ford Speedster, I told my wife, if I ever get a home run on a car, I'm going to remodel a house and buy a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. So I bought a Daytona. Nice, nice. Well, that's a new question that I've started asking people, and it's interesting. You're the second person that I've asked that question, and I think it's going to be a good one because it uh, it stirs up a lot of thought and emotion. So appreciate you answering that one. Well, I can I can think of, of if there was a girl out there, it was a car. It'd probably be a Ferrari Series One Cabriolet, you know, a Sophia Loren looking car. You know. <laughs> Wonderful. I can answer that question better than what I'd be. Okay, okay. Well, Bill, this is one of my favorite parts of our talk. I call it the last lap, and uh-huh. this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So, are you ready to go? All right. Okay. Ready. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I've ever received. If it's coming to collector cars or collection cars, buy what you like, not what you think you're going to make a buck on. Yep. Yep. Because if the market if the market tanks, you've at least got something you can enjoy. Absolutely. Every car I've ever bought to make a dollar on it, I've lost a dollar. But every car I've ever bought because I had the passion for that car, I've done all right on. Great advice. Could you share one of your personal habits with our listeners that you believe contributes to your success? I read everything automotive that I can. History books about cars. I'm a member of the uh, Society of Automotive Historians, constantly reading. I'm not much on television. Right Good Although for I you. watch Velocity. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Wayne Carini and Barry McGuire. I've taken an interest in Cuba. I've been down there twice legally on, on car things. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting culture down there. there. There's an automotive passion in Cuba that is suppressed by the government more than anything else, I think. But yeah. I, if if I, you ask me the question, what's the one thing, is I, I just am a voracious reader. Okay. That's great. Do you have a resource that you could share with us that you really like to go to? Maybe it's a website or a supplier or maybe even a person. I got a friend of mine named Steve Boyle. He worked for Ruggles in Atlanta for years building IndyCar engines. And he's my go-to guy. He's teaching me how to build engines. Now, I'll never build an engine. I will assemble an engine. But I'm not smart enough, nor do I have the experience to build engines. Steve's been my uh, my go-to guy. and He's been a friend for years. He was our crew chief when we were racing Camaros. Very quiet, unassuming guy who has tremendous amount of knowledge. Don Summer, who started Meadowbrook, he and Dave Holes, the late Dave Holes, were the guys that helped us get started here at Amelia. Wonderful people. I I think that our whole deal at Amelia is about people. It's cars that are the glue that hold it together. I live my dream. I get to hang around with my heroes, Dan Gurney and Sterling Moss and Jim Hall and John Surtees and Brian Redman and Sam Posey and Bobby Allison and Richard Petty. And it goes down the line of the great drivers. And I'm very, very fortunate to have built up relationships with all these guys. Wonderful. Bill, would it's you? Blessing. Yes, absolutely. You said you're a voracious reader. Could you share maybe one book with our listeners that you've recently read that you really enjoyed? Uh, no, I'll give you three. Okay. <laughs> My photography is based on a book called uh, The New Matadors by Horst Baumann. It was published back in the 60s. Probably the most creative photographer of the time. You know, when you shoot a race for a magazine, you've got to shoot 
the editorial side, you know, who did what, what does the car look like? And then you've got to capture the, the essence of the event, which is more artsy, craftsy. And Horst Bauman was an artist with a camera. He captured the moment and the feel. That was the pattern for my photography. Books that I've read recently, uh, I, I mentioned I've gotten uh, enamored with what goes on in Cuba, and uh, there's two books, The Havana Nocturne and The Sugar King of Havana, which is a, not automotive, but it uh, tells you how they got where they are today. Sure. What, what the situation is and the, and the lack of incentive that exists down there due to the communist regime. Uh, a book about racing or racing people, which is a really interesting book, is called Blue Thunder, or How the Mafia Owned and Murdered Don Arano, the Boat King. And in it, they talk about Whittington Brothers and the Pauls and Randy Lanier and all the drug trafficking that was going on and funding race cars for the most part wow. back in those times. And, and the thing about Blue Thunder, it tells you how deep the reach of the mob goes into our political structure. Mm. You can find the book on Amazon. It hasn't been published in a while, but it almost scares you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll remind our listeners that we'll post all these resources at com slash Bill Warner. If you type that in, you'll go right to the show notes page, and you can find links to everything that Bill shared with us today. So thank you. Okay, Bill, we're up to the checkered flag. You're a racer, so you know what that means. We're at the end of our conversation. This last question is yeah. sometimes a challenge. I like to call it a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, and it's something you couldn't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money was no object, what would that car be and why? Probably the the Alfa Romeo 2900 by Touring probably the most beautiful car of its day. I had the opportunity to drive Ray Shures when I, Shures when I was out in Westlake, California. Here I am in traffic in a car that's probably worth $30 million, and it's got the old Italian pedal configuration with the gas in the middle and the brake on the right and the clutch on the left, which worked on my brain mm-hmm. to the point it was hard to enjoy the car because you just did not want to push on the wrong pedal at the wrong time. All oh, right, But probably the most beautiful car of its time was that Alpha. Yeah. If if you're talking post-war cars, probably a Ferrari short wheelbase Berlinetta. Ooh, yeah. Great choices. Well, Bill, well Bill, you've taken us on a great ride today and I've really enjoyed your stories. I know that we could probably talk cars for hours. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us and if you could give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset and let them know what's the best way to learn about you and the Amelia Island Concours, and then we'll say goodbye. Well, they can go to our website, www.ameliaconcours.org, but the best way is just come next March, 13th, 14th, and 15th, when we'll celebrate our 20th anniversary with Sir Sterling Moss returning. He was our first honoree. He's coming back to help us celebrate our 20th. Wow. We got some great classes lined up. I want going to be really good uh, last year was our best and next year it's going to be better i can't wait to be there would you give our listeners maybe that one piece of parting guidance before we part our ways yeah work hard <laughs> that's simple you know, direct use and easy. each moment of the day you don't know how long you're going to be here just enjoy and use each morning of the day don't waste your life you know there's challenges out there and you got to get up each morning and Go for the gold ring. There you go. 
Well, listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about today at carsyacom slash Bill Warner, or just type Bill into the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. Bill, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and sharing your life and experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Mark, I'm honored. Thank you very much for asking me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.